Welcome to the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Nick. And I'm Lance. And this week we're going to spend a little time talking about what we've been watching recently. We're going to discuss some film news from the past week, uh, do a full film review, and then get into some food for thought brought to us by Nick this time, because Willie... (laughs) (laughs) Willie's on awesome leave. I don't know. Um, So this week our full review is Sam Mendes' Skyfall. So, look that forward. It's a, weird it's a it is. Said that, you know, it's like the director before. It's like Criterion Collection. We do that every week. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I like it. Um, about the director of Wreck-It Ralph, I was like, didn't even cross my mind. Oh yeah. Well, apparently, I want to say real quick, he is like big in the animation. Like he, I think he directed a bunch of uh, Futurama. Yeah, I looked him like, up on IMDb shortly after. Yeah. And uh, I remember seeing it because I wanted to know. I mean, and you can't you can't underestimate the value of. Even even if someone thinks, oh, well, a director for an animated movie look good as that. Yeah. Uh, like I was I was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So two corrections from last week, one of which nobody will care about. But the first one, uh, Sylvester Stallone denies the Nick Cage comments about uh, Expendables three. So currently, we'll see whether or not Nick Cage ends up in Expendables three. Um, what else is he doing? <sighs> Trying to pay off those ten castles. <laughs> um, Homeboy owns ten castles. Well, he did oh, until he went like. <laughs> um, <laughs> second note: uh, We were talking about who would have been awesome for the Racket Ralph score, and you mentioned Nick mentioned the guy who did Indie Game the movie, and I incorrectly said Super Brothers. Yeah, the dude's is. name is Jim Guthrie. He did the soundtrack for Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery, which yeah. is why I said Super Brothers. Um, the soundtrack to Sword and Sorcery is really good. Oh yeah, really. absolutely. Both Sword and Sorcery and Indie Game the movie. Yeah. So the, he did. He did record up too. No, 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 no. We were saying he should have. Oh yeah. Because it would have been awesome. But. Oh yeah. I mean, the parts that were there that weren't source music were pretty sweet. Yeah. But. Um, okay. So, other than that, we got a lot of fan mail about that, and people were just hating all over us. Not really at all, because sure. nobody nobody emails us. But anyway, we're going to move into what we've been watching. So, Nick, what have you been watching? Um, well, I think we're going we're gonna to have a, a brief moment where Lance and I kind of both talk about Lincoln for yeah, a second. Yeah, sure. We both caught a, an early screening of Lincoln mm-hmm. to, uh, yeah, it was good. But, um, uh, but I think we'll, we'll both talk about that at some point. But what I've been watching, um, I watched, I've been watching a lot of random shows on Hulu to try to find... Um, something new that I kind of like. I did watch the newest episode of Arrow the other night. It was uh, it was actually pretty good. I texted, <laughs> that was, that's I texted Tim about it. The premiere of Deathstroke, is it not? Yeah, they never call him by name or anything. But okay. I mean, it is him, yeah. Um, and I texted Tim about it, which he said, I'm so glad you're still watching it. But there were some <laughs> jokes about the cheesy quality of the show, but I said, uh, all joking aside, it is actually getting pretty good. They're kind of taking it more seriously in a good way. Yeah. Like Tim's initial complaint when he wrote it up, he said... It's taking itself too seriously for a show about a green, you know, bow wielding vigilante. <laughs> but it's starting to take itself seriously in a better way, where there's not like tons of cheesy source music. Yeah. The like love triangle they established with like his best friend and his former girlfriend has disappeared. His best friend is actually gone. He hasn't been on the show in like four episodes. Okay. So I can't. Once again, and I'll say this every week, I can't believe I'm, I'm reviewing the, the most recent episode of CW's <laughs> It's actually getting a little bit better. Um, so it's cool. It's still a cheesy show, but it's actually 
it's getting pretty pretty good actually so maybe you've just let it in a little bit and uh maybe I've let it in my heart yeah I've let love in yeah. <laughs> no it's um I don't know I, I'd be curious to have uh, that's why I need Tim or you to, to catch up on it and watch okay. it and see if it's just me being delusional and <laughs> But I also watched um, in a, the first episode of the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon, okay. which is very mature of me, I know. And um, <laughs> it actually wasn't that good. Like a lot of people were saying that they really, really liked it, and um, a lot, of, a lot of diehard Turtles fans said they liked it. And it was okay, but I, I didn't really see anything in it. That, it was by nowhere, by no means as impressive as the animated TMNT from '08. Is that from? Or yeah, 07? around there. '07, I think. That was awesome, but the new the new show isn't uh, quite as good. But it was only the pilot, so I know Brandon Cleckley, uh really likes it, and he's the uh, the big turtles guru. So if he likes it, then that's cool. Well, maybe the it's hard to extrapolate how good the show will be off of just the pilot. Right, so yeah, maybe you'll see yeah, more totally. of it and it could get better. like Arrow. I do like, it is cool that the, the, the turtles, it actually is kind of an origin story. Like in the first, in the pilot, they have not ever had pizza. They've never been to the surface and midway through the episode is their first encounter with pizza. And it's pretty entertaining. That's good. That's um, origin for you. That's how you, <laughs> <laughs> back to the roots. <laughs> no, all the turtles are cool because they don't look exactly alike anymore. Their skin tones are all slightly different shade and they have like different chips and dings in their shells. It's kind of neat. They have some just, some distinction and Donatello is like the tallest one and the skinniest and like they all are kind of differently built it's kind of neat can, can I ask is are they aliens to lead into the Michael Bay movie they are not aliens okay movies. good they are just turtles that <laughs> they, they were once teenagers that are now is, t- turtles <laughs> Splinter was a human and got mixed with a rat and turned done into a rat. that was stupid stupid was Splinter's supposed to be a rat yeah yeah but anyway, he got morphed into a rat somehow. I'm like, that's unrealistic. That's totally the way I felt, though. I like sat up in my bed. I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> this is bullshit. Flipped the table. That wasn't there. Yep. Walked into the dining room, flipped the table, and then walked back. <laughs> no, it's kind of neat, though. It's just cool. It's cool to watch it knowing that there are generations of kids now that still dig all the stuff that I liked as a kid. Well, because certainly. Every time I go to Target and like walk by all the toys, I'm like, yeah. "There's GI Joes, there's Star Wars, there's there's Batman, there's Spider Man, there's Turtles." I'm like, "It's literally like I just raced forward in time, but nothing around me changed." Well, these could also be said by your parents and my parents, for that matter, because GI Joe, uh, superheroes, Superman and Spider Man, and then true. Star Trek as well, and like there are certain things that kind of persist through time. That's true. So and Star Wars, Star Wars is going to be one of those things too, because you know, yeah, yeah. But and it'll take like a cyclic nature, like things do. But you yeah. Know. So all right. That's it. What I've been watching. Okay. Well, uh, Lance, what you what you've been watching lately? Let's see. Um, what fell off the back of an internet truck? Uh, let's see. Well, <laughs> you've been you've been watching a ton too that. since you got back from. Yeah. Those um, those uh, those who who might actually listen to this who are not familiar with Lance. Lance is an old buddy of mine from from my Wayne State days, and he was recently on a cruise ship for six months. Uh, had he had a job as a videographer on the ship, mm-hmm. taping events, and uh, so while he was gone, he didn't get to watch a whole lot of movies or TV or anything. So. Well, well, not too many. Lance was an old buddy of mine back when my brother worked at the Birmingham Eight, <laughs> and sure. uh, yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I can't claim credit. Alex <laughs> <laughs> clearly knows him better. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, proceed. Well, let's see. Um... I saw. I've been watching Homeland. That's like the one new show that I keep up on. I've been dying to start it. That's a that's a great show. I did acquire Homeland season one, and I'm anxious to 
anxious to see it. I acquired it. Yeah. Like if I could compliment a show and I would say that's the one show I watch as it comes out. Yeah. Rather than like DVRing it or you know, or going to your it. local Walmart and purchasing it. Exactly. Which um, I do. <laughs> the only Walmart. two options that the there are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, you can. Or the Seven Eleven. I've seen DVDs at Seven Eleven. Yes, uh, I've bought many a DVD at Seven. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so last night's episode was pretty good. You know, a lot of revelations in the show. I hear that there's a lot of revelations, like on an episode basis. Yes. As well. Uh, you know, they're changing the game like almost every episode, which is pretty cool. Is Damian Lewis? Good enough to, to take an Emmy from Brian Cranston. Absolutely. What was arguably the best season of Breaking Bad? Um, yes, because acting wise, Damian Lewis really brings it awesome. to the forefront. Because like his character is like you don't know if he's lying, when he's lying, kind of thing. That's awesome. And he really pulls it off. Damian Lewis is sweet. Yeah. Remember when I saw him? Spoiler back, alert: He lies. <laughs> and I saw him in, uh, in um, Band of Brothers. I thought mm-hmm. he was really good. Yeah. Yeah. He even brought up this movie, what was that crappy movie, Dreamcatcher? Yeah, kind of brought yeah. that up a little bit. And I, was, I was like, this is a piece of shit. Do you mean that vehicle for the final flight of Osiris? What's that? The final flight of Osiris uh, Matrix animated thing that played before Dreamcatcher oh, in yeah, theaters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't see that. Uh, that was like an Animatrix thing? Yeah, it was. Oh, okay. it's on the Animatrix DVD. But oh, okay. Not bad. Anyway, Not bad. sorry for that derailing. Oh, what, uh, what else have you been watching? Um, I saw El Topo. For the first time. Oh. Yeah, I thought I I thought I'd use my my cult film film boy status and El Topo is sweet. Check it out. El yeah, Topo, nineteen seventies film. There you go. Yep, yep. And that's Damn, uh there's a film snob quota for the day. Yeah. <laughs> El Topo. Did El you Topo. double feature it with the Holy Mountain? I didn't double feature it. I wanted they to sell them together at Criterion. Oh, okay. That's Same. sweet. Yeah. Um so, yeah, I, I wanted to because, like, the whole thing about Holy Mountain was that, like, John Lennon gave the director, like, a million dollars to make his next movie, and it was the Holy Mountain. Hmm. And also, um, anybody know Santa Gold? San, Santi Gold? No. Artist? Uh, musical artist? She made a music video and kind of was, like, an homage to the Holy Mountain with, like, all this violence and stuff like that. They do sell um, them together on DVD, but not on Blu-ray. They're separate okay. on Blu-ray. Okay, yeah. But they're cheap. They're both 15 bucks. Yeah. I've never seen Holy Mountain, but I've seen, like, images from it, and I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's, stuff, there's so much, there's such a cool story behind, like, El Topo and that, like, era, because I think when I had History of Film, they showed, like, a little documentary about, uh... <laughs> Stop dropping things. They, uh, they showed, like, a little documentary about, like, the midnight movie craze in, like, New York in, like, the late 70s, yep. early 80s. They yep. would show cult movies late at night from like up and coming directors and it was like this big scene and uh Jodorowsky was like one of those directors that his mm-hmm. movies hit and people were just like whoa didn't know what to think of it and yeah, yeah. guys like Lennon like were really into it yeah yeah. I don't really like the Beatles but um I thought that was cool that like such a big name was like invested in it it like propelled some of these people up but they were they were those midnight movies were like super, really noted for like their violence mm-hmm. yeah violence and sex and mm-hmm. But Weird stuff. Way more maimed people, dwarves, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> that's pretty much. Yeah, that's what he, that's what he tries to save in the movie. Um, it's like part two of the film. It's two different movies, really. It's like a western, and then like a like I a, love all the western parts. Yeah, all the westerns. like a cynical kind of this cynical town with all these like really really bad people, and then um, El Topo kind of shows up and tries to help the the less fortunate people so he's kind of like a Christ figure so it's it's pretty sweet yeah it's um really good film well cool 
Cool, cool. A little bit of seventies uh, film, film, uh, film stuff. Yeah, seventies is such a good decade for movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm kind of like for some reason I have this avoidance of the 70s film because some of it feels so dated yeah i, I, I know what you're saying it's, exactly it's totally an amazing era different time yeah like there's a book about it too um easy riders raging bulls Heard of that okay book? Yeah, it's like a it's like a book about how the 70s era of filmmaking was entirely different and the directors you know they were under the influence of drugs they were crazy rock and yeah. roll guys you know and these are people that were helming films you know even uh people who are even just like you know, casual film nerds, I guess, or people that are really into film, it, it's a totally rewarding experience if you go even just to, like, a community college and take, like, one class about, like, the history of film, like, particularly, like, 1950 to, like, present, like, 1950 to 2000, when you really start learning, or even reading, there's so many good books on the subject, if you even start reading about the way the system evolved and, like, Hollywood and, and movies of... It's just... It's awesome stuff. It's really, really, really yeah. awesome to read about. Yeah. You, you mean um, film history classes that, that go from uh, Genesis to Haywire and then Haywire and beyond? Yeah. <laughs> In the post-Haywire world? We're waiting for you to start teaching that thing. <laughs> Haywire is the it's already thing. begun. <laughs> um, okay. So, I haven't watched a whole lot except I went and... Rewatched Casino Royale and watched Quantum of Solace for the first time. Now, should we talk about these a lot right now or leading up to the Skyfall review? I kind of want to do it right now so that Skyfall can have its own thing, but I think we're only going to do news for like 15 minutes, so we can probably spend at least like 10 minutes on these two right now. Cool. Sounds wonderful. But Lance still hasn't seen Quantum, right? Or did you watch it? <clears throat> I don't need to see it. I've been told to avoid it by many people. But they're wrong. We'll get there. <laughs> um, so... Casino Royale, I saw it, this is my first time rewatching it since I saw it in theaters in 2006. Um, it's not as good as I thought it was. What? And, and, and it's, a, it's a fantastic movie. It's extremely entertaining. That whole first like sequence after like the, the cold open is Berserk. amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's, there's nothing like it out there. However... And it goes on for so long. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, but and and that's the thing the movie's like two hours and 40 minutes long and pacing's fantastic the thing that really turned me and like it didn't turn me off I shouldn't say that I didn't like it as much this time because for some reason it felt extremely eclectic from a directorial standpoint like especially between like the cold open and parts of the cold open and then like when Bond spoiler alert later on gets poisoned there's like little segments that are completely like different tonally and in the mood and in the cinematography that are just it's a little jarring it was jarring for me this time and I really noticed it and like it's not a huge gripe but for some reason it just kind of didn't strike me the way it did like I walked out of that movie in 06 being like I want to be James Bond and this time I was kind of like eh it's awesome it's interesting because the two the two things that you're talking about, I think you're referring to in the cold open when it cuts suddenly to like really grainy black and white and then back to color. No, it's all black and white. It's all black and white. Yeah, the whole thing is black and white. That. But it cuts okay. back and forth between him and the him, bathroom. Him fighting the guy in the bathroom. Yeah, yes. but it's like really, yeah. really like the grain is like really pushed. And yes. It's a lot, yes. It's a lot grittier. Yeah. yeah. And then when he gets poisoned, everything gets a little like yeah, it gets wobbly and like ghosting. And, yep. And, 
That bothers you, really? I, for some reason. No, and it wasn't... I don't think it was just those two things. I think there were a few different, like, segments in the movie that just felt directed completely different than the rest of the movie, and it kind of pulled me out of it a little bit. But like I said, I still I still loved the movie. I still think it's extremely entertaining. Because those and, kind of devices are there to... to they're there for a reason. Enhance the, the experience. They're there for a reason. I mean, Bond is poisoned, so the viewer gets poisoned. I can see. I mean, yeah. I think some people might observe it as kind of an amateurish way to like make the audience feel nauseated too. Yeah. But sometimes it can be. I remember thinking it was cool. Nah, it didn't feel cheap to me, but it. it and this is about to be the most pretentious thing I've ever said <laughs> in this podcast, but I think it would really matter to me if it was done in camera or in post, <laughs> like with sunshine when you know, like the Danny Boyle. Films. Yeah. Oh yeah. Can I say it? One of my favorite movies of all time. Absolutely. Um, it's really cool when you learn about it because some all of the weird effects in the movie, like the weird lighting stuff and the weird crazy prism like thing yeah. was all done live in camera. And you know and that and that lends it a special something. And I think that the the opening casino royale with all that grit and that noise was probably done while they were shooting. Yeah. I'm guessing it was because Martin Campbell is a really sweet director and he doesn't really mess around mind screen anything. But um, And vertical limit. But I mean, a lot of people really, you know, they always say, like, well, Martin Campbell directed the two best Bond movies, Goldeneye and Casino Royale. Yeah. I think he's probably the only director to do two different Bond movies from two different Bonds, um, and both really successfully. And both of them were the first movie of that Bond. Yeah. They're so different. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think Casino Royale is like a masterstroke from directing, and purely because. The poker games are as intense as the opening chase sequence. Oh yeah, and and I didn't, po- and, and I didn't even know how to play poker with it when I saw it, but I was on the edge. I was like, "Oh man, there's some shit at stake here." <laughs> <laughs> I no, I mean, I I like I said, I really enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. I just for some reason, having grown up, I mean, six years of my life has have gone by, and I certainly pay a lot more attention to these things now than I did back then. But it it didn't hit all the right notes as it used to, but it. Still is amazing. I think it honestly has the best song of these three. That's my opinion. The opening song? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like but it is a pretty sweet song. And the title sequence is very cool. Yeah, uh-huh. the title sequence is amazing, and the song together, it's it's really, really yeah. good, and it's a really catchy song, too. Like, I've had it in my head it since I watched cool. it. But it's definitely got a nice air of, like, it's got kind of the Bond, like, harmonies in it. And yeah. Melodies. It's very, uh, yeah, it's cool. All right. Uh, any any other, any other thoughts on Casino Royale before we move along? No, no. I think it ages super well. Absolutely. But uh-huh. after we after we talk about Skyfall, I have an overarching thing to say about all three. Oh, people. me too. The me trilogy. too. <laughs> okay, so Quantum of Solace. Start off the top. The song is horrible. Awful. Yes, that's the only thing I saw was the music video, and I was kind of turned off. I was like, no. <laughs> like, gonna... don't need to see this no. one. Um, Alicia Keys. It's really bad, and I just read an article online that was like. The top ten worst Bond songs and the top ten best, and that made it into the best. And I was like, "Are you serious? Horrible!" Mm-mm. I don't even remember what it's called. If you told me what it was called, I'd tell you it's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> what is it called? It's called Jack White and Alicia Keys. Suck it. Yeah. Fuck up a song. Um, in the title sequence, I remember not being. It, it was it's not done with sand in it, right? Yeah. Same guy who did Casino Royale title sequence did Skyfall title sequence. The, the sequences uh, are okay. Like I saw this one, I remember thinking it was all right, but I yeah. think I was so distracted by how bad the song was. It was horrible because the, the two the two go hand in hand. Yeah, and the title sequence and the song complement each other. Absolutely. Or you know, collectively go out the toilet. So, um, so Quantum of Solace, 
I kind of have two major points. I felt like the movie was largely inconsequential. I didn't really care the whole way through. I thought the villain was one of the worst Bond villains in the world. And there was like... In the world? In the world. Well, yeah. In the world. Um, it's not enough. <laughs> I just... <laughs> I, I just felt like... Um, it's this guy who buys companies and serves people to, you know, take over countries. And it just felt like, why does why is Bond getting mired in all this crap here when he should be like, you know, his his foil in the film should be somebody who, you know, commands a presence, which we'll get to later on. I mean, Le Chief in the first, and Casino Royale certainly, like, Mads Mikkelsen everything about him his performance his face the crying blood like all of that stuff serves to like a bond villain whereas uh i think green is his name yeah he just feels like a dude who pushes pencils behind a desk like even when he threatens to like throw olga kurlenko like over the side of the thing in the beginning of the movie it's like i don't feel like he's ever gonna actually do it so on top of that um, what else was I going to say? I don't understand why there was no... Nothing throughout the movie made me feel like there was a point to having it continue the story of Casino Royale. I don't feel like Bond comes full sequel. Or full sequel. Full circle. <laughs> <laughs> never go full sequel. Um, it It... He just never really like gets to a place that I think justifies the fact that it is the first like carrying over of the story from one Bond film to the next. So I and you know I want to hear like what makes because Nick, you're honestly the only person that I know that will defend Quantum of Solace. Um, and it's not like I talk to everybody I know about Quantum of Solace, so maybe there are more out there. (laughs) But. Uh, no, it's been, I'm, I'm just real as you're talking about it, I'm just realizing, I'm like, it's been, it has been a long time since I've seen it. Well, since no, 2008? Been, no, no, no. I've, I've actually rewatched it twice since then. I think the last time I saw it was, uh, I want to say in early, like 2011, I watched the Blu-ray of it, we rented it, and watched it, and, um, I like it because... It's kind of the almost the antithesis to Casino Royale. It's a lot shorter. It's, oh, yeah. it's more concise. Um, it's a little less bombastic. Yeah. In, in terms of like the scale, but I, I there's no love... like twenty five minute chase scene through. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. I'm okay. Yeah. Like it's great in that movie, and that's where it, it belongs. Um, I think I really like the fact that it is a direct sequel. I think that's awesome that they because. This this particular generation of Bond of Craig seems very into taking the franchise places it's never been before in terms yeah. of story, and I think making a direct sequel was a very cool move. And I think the fact that it takes place like four minutes after Casino Royale is really badass. Yeah, for those brief, tiny, not even a spoiler for anybody who has seen Casino but not Quantum. Casino ends with Bond showing up at Mr. White's house, knowing now that Mr. White is like a, a head of some shadowy criminal organization. And Quantum literally opens with Bond fleeing the scene with Mr. White in the train. Yeah, and you don't even see him fleeing the scene. It's just the car chase. Yeah, it's awesome. And then once you see that Mr. White is in the trunk, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's really cool because he's in. I mean, he's in the same suit and everything. Yeah. It's, it's. I think that that's sweet. I think the cover of Quantum of Solace is actually part of the still from Casino Royale. Yeah, where he's walking up with the gun. Yep. Um, I think I like that it's kind of about. Now that you've seen it once, I think you should watch it again. Oh, I think, you I, might, think I will. You might get a lot more out of it. Because it's so different from Casino Royale, it's kind of almost hard to digest the first time. Yeah. But I think that the fact that it's most mostly about him kind of brooding over his his dead love is really sweet. Because we've never seen James Bond do that before. He's always just been a love him and leave him type of guy. That's true. In and the I movies. think that in, yeah, in, yeah. in Casino Royale, we see, at the very end, we see Daniel Craig put up that put up that guise of not caring anymore when M says, you know, is it is it whatever, is it done? And he says, yeah, the, the bitch is dead. And, uh, which I guess is a quote from one of the books or something like that. Oh, but um, we, we, as an audience, were led to believe, all right, now this, this is obviously Bond Begins. This is how he becomes a James Bond we all know and love. And then Quantum comes along, and he's still actually mourning her loss. And we see yeah. him order the drink that she made, like that custom drink, and he's clearly dealing with it, and it's kind of a, a revenge spree throughout the movie he's pursuing this guy because he thinks it will lead him to some sort of resolution over Becker's some quantum death. of solace yes so is that what that means <laughs> yes well quantum's organization yeah okay criminal, criminal empire in terms of the villain he is kind of lame but i thought his his motivations and everything were kind of appropriate it seemed like a modern kind of villain a guy who sits behind a computer and pulls strings like i kind of i kind of we'll get into that more later okay yeah with that yeah um but I don't know, I just, I like it. I think the action that is there, as a whole, there's less action than Casino, but I think the action that's there is awesome. The opening chase is awesome. There's another foot chase that's really cool. The boat chase, I think, is sweet. Yeah. Uh, the only part I didn't really like was the plane segment. I was like, this is a little crazy, but I think the action throughout it is really cool. I think the final locale where Mr. Green is, where they have their big final showdown, is very bomb. Yeah. It's like this that's complex true. in the middle of the desert. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of awesome. Looking. And it looks really art deco. Yeah, yeah like. it's very sweet. So I think, uh, oh, and the scene in the bar with Felix Leader is like one of my favorite parts of all of the Drag <laughs> Bond movies. It is so sweet. Jeffrey Wright's pretty, Jeffrey pretty Wright's good Felix. Really sweet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, I just, I think if you watch it again, you might, you might get a lot more out of it. Maybe, maybe. Uh, I, I mean, I have liked it more and more every time I've watched it. Okay. But I never hated it. I saw, I went and saw it in the theaters the, the weekend it came out, and uh, I think, I think it was that weekend. And I, I left liking it. I was like, it's really different from Casino, but I liked it a lot. I should say I didn't hate it. I just was like, mm. I also liked that uh, Olga Kirilenko survives the whole movie. Yeah. I think she's one of the first Bond girls ever. Did Halle Berry make it? And they part, in, they part on good terms, and they never actually like shack up together. That's she's, true. She's like a partner. She's almost like a... Oh, like a psychic. Like, yeah. And I thought that was really cool that Bond saw this girl who also had like a tortured past. She was also on like a revenge thing throughout yeah. the movie. They're kind of kindred spirits, and I thought that was that was pretty an interesting dynamic. So I think there's a lot of value in it that a lot of people just dismiss. Like some people, hey, there's boring, there's no action, there's banging of girls. <laughs> like that that's the one movie that like I think Bond, like old school Bond fans and purists, they hate it. Yeah, it's totally not a Bond. Yeah, it's not a traditional Bond movie by any means. Okay. Anyway, sorry for my long-winded. That's okay. <laughs> we'll move into news, which should news. probably be pretty quick. By the way, both Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace are currently ten dollars on Blu-ray on Amazon.com. Are they on Netflix? I know neither of them. I think at that rate, ten dollars a movie, I'd probably just buy the collection yeah. for like a hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah. Oh, the fifty. Yeah. Bond fifty. I think oh, yeah. it would be a lot of fun to sit down and watch all of them, oh. like at like you know 
I'd be like, I'll watch two of these a week or something like that for yeah. 10 weeks. 23. Yeah, it's 122 yeah. films. 22. For Blu-ray. Yeah. Now, is it all of them up to... Quantum? Everything up to it's Quantum. Yeah. 22 films. See, there are so many of them that are goofy, though. It's not... <laughs> yeah, but I still think it would be fun to see, you know... Alex, if you buy it, I will gladly watch them all. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Maybe, maybe if there's a Black Friday deal on it, I'll pick it that's up. That's true. They're very, they're very... Yeah, things to look out for on Black Friday. That, that's one of them. The yeah. Indiana mm-hmm. Jones collection will be one. Yep. Uh, another collection just came out too. Um, oh no, that's that's not it. Coen Brothers collection was uh, on sale today. because I saw it for thirty bucks, but that's been out for a while. Yeah, but on mm-hmm. Blu-ray, it probably hasn't been out that long. Mm-hmm. All right, so news. Story number one. Michael Bay says Transformers 4 takes place four years after Dark of the Moon and will come out July fourth, twenty fourteen, starring Mark Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> yeah, I wanted that Nick's groan friends. recorded because Nick oh, hasn't groan. hasn't heard any of these <laughs> news stories yet. I actually did read that earlier today. And well, yeah, but I you didn't know I was going to bring it up. And I threw it on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Four years after Dark of the Moon. Dark, dark, isn't it? Yeah, Dark of the Moon. Yeah, I dark always want to remove everything in the moon. middle because that's how it felt like when it first came out. I was like, Dark Moon, like Dark of Moon, Dark the Moon. <laughs> it should be called Dark of Moon. <laughs> but, yeah. Or just Transformers Moon. <laughs> so. Um, it's interesting. I think we're, we're kind of seeing a, ever since Nolan <laughs> made Dark Knight Rises take place eight years later, I think a lot of people are going, mm-hmm. What can we do? I don't. I don't know about that. I don't know if it. I don't think this is a function of that. I think this is well, Michael uh, Bay being like, I don't want to deal with Sam Witwicky or anybody anymore because none of them want to return is anyway. It Sam, wait, it's a different character. Mark Wahlberg. I hope Mark Wahlberg isn't playing old Sam Witwicky. Yeah, four years. <laughs> take a... This is this is what you look like in 20, 20, 25 year old Sam Witwicky. Yeah, who's blown all of his money on hookers and blow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know because I I got the vibe. We'll talk about it later, I'm sure. But I I got the vibe from Skyfall that it takes place a significant amount of time after Quantum. But I don't think that was a function of The Dark Knight Rises, though. I just think it's an interesting. Trend. It's in the zeitgeist, now, yeah. Of movies now that they're being like, let's skip a whole ton of yeah. crap. <laughs> Dexter, the Walking the Dead. Dead. I was just gonna say, let's skip character development. See, but there are people yeah. that are saying let's skip character development, and then there are people that are saying let's build in a function of this. Like, Tron Legacy takes place twenty three years after Tron. That serves the story, though. Exactly, yeah. and yeah. so yeah. does so does the Dark Knight Rises. Exactly, I, yeah. you know, it's. I'm just saying, it's. You know, different forms of that have been don't, apparent don't bring, elsewhere. Don't bring Tron into this place of, <laughs> of, of, of non-sacred. Yeah. All right. Well, we can skip that one. Um, <laughs> news item number two. We were, we talked about this on one of our very first episodes. I think there was some misinformation there, but I don't remember exactly what was said. Um, Liam Neeson, Will Ferrell, Alison Brie, and Nick Offerman join... Elizabeth Banks, Morgan Freeman, Chris Pratt, and Will Arnett in Lego The Piece of Resistance from the directors of Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and 21 Jump Street. 21 Jump Street. It's kind of an awesome name for a movie. It's an amazing cast, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, you people did? people know Liam Neeson, people know Will Ferrell, Allison Brie from Community, um, yeah, Nick Offerman from Parks and Rec. He's yeah. the best character on Parks and Rec, no in doubt. my opinion. He looks weird about his mustache. Can you see a picture of him without it? Have you seen him with a beard, though? Does he look sweet? He's in that Mary Elizabeth Winstead movie with Aaron Paul, uh, Smashed. 
and he has a beard and glasses and he looks like the most like professorial person in the world it's amazing he's a woodmaker in real life i know it's amazing and he was like i want to incorporate this into the show into parks and rec and they've had his like wood shop on there a few times (laughs) yeah yeah, but the guy the guy seriously makes wood. I like the term woodmaker. That's his. That's his trade. He makes wood. He 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 grows it in the ground and makes wood. So anyway, that's Daniel Day Lewis being a cobbler. Daniel Day Lewis would be a cobbler though. He has a shop somewhere in like England where he lives, and he just like makes shoes straight up. He probably he sells them for like $10, That's too. He he's not blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> As we will talk about. Oh, we didn't really get into Lincoln. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. we'll talk about it next week, yeah. and maybe maybe Lance will, will join us as a fourth chair. But, um, yes. I hope so. Yeah. So, finally, the only news story that's somewhat worth talking about. I said we wouldn't have any Star Wars news until it was solid. This is actually solid. We have Michael Arndt of Little Miss Sunshine, Toy Story 3 fame, and also scripting Oblivion, Catching Fire, and untitled Pixar movie that takes you into the mind. Those are his next works. He's writing Star Wars Episode 7. Wow. When I heard this news, I was like, the dude from Little Miss Sunshine and Toy Story 3 is going to take on Star Wars? You know, he's a good screenwriter, but why, why tie him up with these franchises why not just let them do original works you know well i mean if you're a screenwriter if you start out with little miss sunshine and then you're like here's the next toy story yeah. okay you're gonna take it yeah. take and then yeah the first screenwriter to get uh, some update that high profile is he writing all three or just seven i think seven is like it for now i think he did like a punch up on the outline and then he's actually doing the full and then i the fact that he's one of the guys or the guy no he's one of the guys because joe kaczynski did part of oblivion if he's writing Oblivion, I'm, that makes me even more excited to see Oblivion because that's his first like sci-fi thing that we'll see. It'll demonstrate what we could get out of him from Star Wars. But any any thoughts on this? I think it's it's awesome, and I saw and this is coming from a big, obviously pretty pretty big Star Wars fan. I saw somebody on Facebook uh, post about it, and a bunch of people were like, "That's so stupid." <laughs> Haters. I was like, uh, hey, yeah, I'm like, by the way, have you seen Little Miss Sunshine Toy mm-hmm. Story 3? I mean, like... Jaina Solo played by Abigail Breslin. And <laughs> you remember Yoda from uh, Attack of the Clones? <laughs> I mean, they're, uh, they're really great stories. Yeah. And he, he, he jumps into something like Toy Story with a, with a mythology. I mean, it's not the Star Wars mythology, but there's tons of characters, and they are established, and he gets into... You know, he takes yeah, and he takes a series of characters that are very, that are very uh, important to a lot of people. Like I saw Toy Story when I was a kid, and I I loved it. I loved the characters. I loved the world. I loved what it meant to me as a kid with a bunch of toys. I thought this this is an awesome idea. And he, you know, took these characters that spoke to me as a ten year old kid, and he made them speak to me again as like a twenty five year old man child in like a really special way. I mean, Toy Story three is definitely well, one of the movies that made me cry pretty hard in the theater we should That's, note yeah we should note that he wrote the screenplay and uh john Lester, andrew stanton and lee unkrich of pixar disney fame were the guys that came up with the story okay, okay. so is there 
I, I wanted to look that up because Toy Story movies are kind of notorious for having like 30 writers. Yeah. Like Joss the first, Joss Whedon was on the first Toy Story. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I wanted to see if he was like solely responsible for something. And the fact that he's one of four people on there and the only one credited for screenplay. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's a great movie. And uh, Loma Sunshine as well takes, yeah. a, takes a, a, a really great idea. I still maintain that Greg Kinnear's character in that movie is. I mean, Steve Carell is the standout sad guy in that movie, but yeah. Greg Kinnear is really sad in that movie. Oh, yeah. I'll never forget the opening segment of that movie where they're introducing all the characters, and you see him delivering this really powerful speech, and it's set to this great music, and it's this incredible dialogue, and, and, and Greg Kinnear totally kills it, and then it cuts to the to the reverse angle, and it's there's like four people, <laughs> and like most of them aren't listening. They're like yeah. on laptops, and then it cuts back to him, and he just looks like... Absolutely. As a writer of heartfelt stories, what do you think? No doubt. Yeah, I do like uh, do like me some Toy Story three. Yeah. Um, not just because Michael Keaton was one of the voices, but because of uh, <laughs> um, yeah, the screenwriting, the way it made me feel, you know, just uh, that film was really about you know like growing up, letting go, yeah. you know, kind of thing. And he really tapped into that, especially with like the character of Andy growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like how all of us are kind of growing up. So, us being, you know, the ones who watched Toy Story 1, 2, and now 3. So, yeah. Um, yeah, he'll do a great job with Star Wars, I'm sure. You know? I think it'll be very interesting to see what he yeah. brings to he it. A, he did a good job, too, with the, like you said, like bringing pathos into it, but also just mm-hmm. the classic, you know, building blocks of good story. He had good, like, hero-villain dynamics and moments. He had a good sense of camaraderie in both movies. Yeah. And, and he bought a, a group of people who didn't necessarily like each other that much and let them to sunshine and made them into a, a real tight family unit over the course of like how many days does that movie take place? Like two? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Sure. Clearly has a good grip on, on character and character interactions and I think that that's really awesome. Mm-hmm. So it makes you excited to see Catching Fire, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hunger Games. Although if, uh, if someone's going to improve it, I mean, I'm welcome to it. Who they got attached to direct that? Francis Lawrence. Oh, my boy. Yeah. I am legend. Yeah. I still say that's the best zombie film, but I don't know, maybe I'm alone what? in that. <laughs> it's, not, it's not really a zombie film, because they don't want to call them zombies. Infected, whatever. Yeah. But I don't know, Will Smith carries uh, that movie. 20 Days Later? Um, uh, Dawn of the Dead 04? Dawn of the Dead 04, yeah, I'm going to give it that. Those aren't zombie later. movies, because like, it's and like, it's just fast and stuff. People. It's fast running dead people. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Okay, all right. Best performance I, I am, I am in an infected movie, Will Smith. I Am Legend, two-thirds of it are awesome. Okay. John Constantine, all thirds of it are amazing. <laughs> all thirds. I, I don't know what it is about that movie. Like, I, I don't like it, and I know I don't like it, but if someone wants to watch it, I'm like, maybe this is the time. Like, <laughs> ends, and I'm like, maybe you just really need to watch it with me. You know what? I'm down for that. Let's do it. <laughs> it'll be it'll be our Constantine experiment. See, Constantine has moments though of, of extreme coolness. Like, oh yeah. Parts of it I really dig. Like and, all of it. But, oh. <laughs> <laughs> parts? Do you mean every frame? <laughs> I collect those parts. Every frame oh, without yeah. Shia LaBeouf in it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Every frame with Jima Hansu. Yes. Well, yeah. Um, I am legend. One act of it is amazing. 
two active that are really good uh-huh. and one active that is oh yeah it cracked the bed the third oh yeah third, third even part. even even the like second ending was not particularly good yeah but that performance you know he was that's very just, very good yeah it's true I gotta say he's got it he's got it for sure well, and it's a hauntingly beautiful film as well, because like the empty streets in New York, mm-hmm. he really sold that on that scale as well. So oh, yeah, the ship, the shots of him on the aircraft carrier playing golf. I yep. was like, mm-hmm. This yeah. is something. Yeah. That ain't nothing. <laughs> you know. All right, so I think we can move into our full review of Skyfall, directed by Sam Mendes. Uh, starring Daniel Craig, uh, Sam Mendes of American Beauty Road Perdition fame, as well as Jarhead, Jarhead Revolutionary Road, a few other Away things. Away we well. go. Away we go. Yeah. Can't forget Jarhead. <laughs> um, starring Daniel Craig, Judy Dench, Daniel Craig in his third Bond film, Judy Dench in her like fifth or sixth. No. Four, four with Pierce Brosnan, and then so these three. With Craig. So seven. Seven. Yeah. Okay. Javier Bardem. Uh, ben Wishaw and Ray Fiennes and then our synopsis from IMDB is Bond's loyalty to M is tested as her past comes back to haunt her as MI6 comes under attack 007 must track down and destroy the threat no matter how personal the cost so we kind of prefaced our review with our thoughts on Quantum of Solace and, and Casino Royale um, let's start off by talking about the song Sung by Adele. Beautiful opening credit sequence. Fantastic song. It's really good. And it really, it, so, it sounds like something that, like, my grandma would have listened to, like, back in the day. We're all nodding right now, for those who can't hear. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> everybody's nodding in unison, but, uh, yeah, and I just really listened to it. You know, I don't want to say that, because I can talk about that in spoilers, but anyway. Any any other thoughts on the song? It's awesome. It's really good. Yeah, and I normally don't like Adele songs. Yeah. Yeah. And Adele uh, impresses me, man. She's got some. She's, she's got, got a great a voice. songs, but she's got a couple songs that I think are really yeah. cool. Some songs she just like yells. She has an absolutely. She has an absolutely amazing voice. Yeah. I would say hands down, she's the most talented female singer in, in popular music right now. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all can take your Taylor Swifts and all that and turn it up a cram because they can't actually sing. She can sing. That girl She can is, sing. She can sing. Yeah, That's for sure. She can do with her voice are amazing. Mm-hmm. She has one song in particular, and I can't remember the name of it, but I'm sure I agree. Yeah, usually I hear it. songs of hers, and I'm like, who sings this? And then I'll like spot, um, sound hound it, and then it'll be her. Yeah, she I'm has one that you know. the, 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 thing, the octaves, she was just shooting up and down with her voice with no sweat. I was like, was it a, like a, a slow song or like a? No, it had a little more. It so wasn't. Like, it's rumor not like has it, maybe. No, no, no. no okay. It's not like one of the real, real poppy ones. Okay. It's on the radio. I'll, I'll find it. I'll okay. Alright. Um, that was a review of Adele. <laughs> um, okay, so Skyfall. Who who wants to start off the? I'll start. Okay. Go for it. Nick, how did you feel about Skyfall? the Adele song at the beginning. <laughs> no, I, the title song itself, I, did, I didn't say anything about that yet. Um, definitely a really, really good one. And it was a cool, uh, I don't remember, I can't remember if uh, a lot of the other Bond movies have done this, but there's a lot of visual stuff in the title sequence that you're like, what the hell does this have to do with anything? Yeah. Dropped throughout the title sequence and it's all dropped throughout the movie. Yeah. 
and things that you kind of call back to. So I think for a lot of people, the second time they see Skyfall, they'll watch the title Absolutely. and go, holy, that's that, that's that, that's that. Yep. And uh, one thing in particular... That was me listening to the song. <laughs> like, right. I listened to the song on the way over here, and I was like... Yeah. Yeah. I had the, we don't were, don't listen closely to the song if you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> I, I heard it on the radio like days before. I, I was trying to avoid it because a lot of people were telling me it was really good. Yeah. I, I heard it on the radio a couple days before, and all, all I really heard was I'm not good with words and songs, so all I really heard was the melody. Yeah. I, I loved it. I was like, it sounds it sounds like a, and we'll get into this more with the spoilers, but uh, well, not so much, but it, it it definitely feels like a classic Bond movie type yeah. of song with a really a really powerful woman voice and it reminded me of the song from uh, Goldeneye like Tina Turner sings it yeah. it's awesome and she just kills it and it reminded me kind of, kind of got the same same vibe but um, as far as the movie goes I, I re- when I left the theater I had really liked it like we the movie ended and I was like that was very cool yeah um, the more and more I thought about it the more I actually like it pushed into like I love it territory we should say where did you guys see it this is actually a pretty big factor because we saw it at the Palladium, okay. one of their smaller, crappier theaters, which I was pretty annoyed with because we tried to go to the Imagine to see it. We got there probably 15, 20 minutes before it started, and there were two seats left. Uh, mm-hmm. So we looked up times, and we said, in, in an hour, there's one in, in Birmingham. So we shot up there, and because it was a later showing, it was in one of their dumpier theaters. Yeah. I was kind of annoyed by that. We got pretty good distance, though. We, were, we had yeah. good seats, yeah. and um, it ended up being fine. Okay. But... Um, where did you see it? I ended up going to the Limax. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Interesting. They actually, because what convinced me on it, which was a good piece of way to get me into the Limax, was that they actually had full, like, not full IMAX, but full Limax uh, aspect ratio. So it filled, like, almost the entire screen. It's a weird thing, because they shot the movie, they framed it for IMAX. Yes. They shoot it with IMAX. They, they framed, framed it. it to they f- be displayed on an IMAX screen. On a LIMAX screen. On a LIMAX screen. Because it is not. It would not be full frame if it was at the Henry Ford. It would be cropped. It would be cropped. Yeah, Dark Knight um, was like that. It's this one is closer to like one point or one point nine to one, as opposed to two thirty five to one is the normal ratio, which I think is what you guys would have seen it in. Yeah. This one is closer to one point nine, which I don't yeah, know. Really? I don't think it's 235. Okay. Well, this is a little bit bigger than 169. Okay. And it was gorgeous. Sound mix was amazing. So, okay. So Absolutely so worth it. it yes. Okay. We saw I, the I hate supporting the Limax, but it was <laughs> it was fantastic. I didn't I, you know, I just felt like all right, it's in Limax. They did like an actual they shot it for the the, the Limax format. Which one did you go to? I went to the Forum 30 over in Sterling Heights. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that's don't uh triangulate our theaters and come to kill us. People who are listening. Thank you. <laughs> I must kill these film nerds. <laughs> anyway, um, back to the movie. I 1.9. So I think yeah, I do I think I, I did really, really love it. I don't know right now, because I've only seen it once, if it's my favorite of the Craig movies. Okay. I think it could be. But it's definitely different than the first two. It's very, very different. Oh, yeah. And I read... Somebody online said they loved it because it was unlike any Bond movie ever made. And I disagree with that wholeheartedly, because... Mm-hmm. It's very different from the two Craig movies, but it's very similar to the older to the Bond of old. Yeah. 
it's a it's a perfect bridge between Daniel Craig Bond and something more like Pierce Brosnan or Sean Connery even. It's um it's very interesting for people who have seen other Bond movies. I think I think maybe people who don't like James Bond but love Daniel Craig's Bond movies probably won't like it as much because whereas the first two Craig movies are almost more like Bourne movies. Yeah. Instead of Bond movies, this one is very much more like an, a classic Bond movie. It's slower it's more deliberate in its pacing. It's got a more of a classic Bond villain. It's uh, the song, like I said, the, the Adele song is, is a huge indicator of what this movie's gonna be like. It's a lot more of kind of a throwback. Um, the return of Q is a very Q's big in indicator. Shows up. A spoiler uh, alert on that one. Oh yeah. Damn. Not really. Well, yeah. Oh, but but there's a bigger there's an even bigger yeah, spoilers yeah yeah there's plenty of bigger spoilers but it's um it's very cool it's a very very cool movie uh it looks great yeah oh yeah Roger Deakins the right Deke now, I know right now that's the cool thing to say because people who have no business knowing that on Facebook are like oh look the cinematography's great in this bond <laughs> Roger Deakins is really good and I'm like really people are name dropping Roger Deakins like they know yeah. like they know <laughs> you think you know when you uh, have no I did see idea. a friend on Facebook say the Adele song was crappy and that Muse should have done it and I threw up in my mouth a little bit when I heard that I would have been okay with the Muse I, I would not I would have rather no. had Muse than uh, Jack White and Alicia Keys I yes oh. I would have been okay with Muse for Quantum of Solace for this movie no well, I mean, you don't know that. You could have heard the song with this, yeah, having not even like thought of an the female, Adele. The female singer was yeah. pretty essential. For you movie, you wouldn't have seen this movie without the song and been like, this theme song needs to be a female. <laughs> so I called BS on your, know, <laughs> on your theorem there. It really, it really suited it. <laughs> it, you it, brought, it really and, and set the tone. It's fantastic, and it fits it perfectly. I usually like women singing Bond themes. There's something about it that just works better. Yeah. Chris Cornell being the exception, because I was like his... There's always room for more exceptions. Really yeah. That's all I have to say. Let's argue about I'm this pretty, some more. I'm pretty sick of you. Though. I'm <laughs> suffering from some pretty intense music. I, I understand that. I know that, that you're not the biggest fan. Neither am I. I haven't even listened to their no, album. No, I think two of their but... albums are phenomenal. I think they're perfect. Well, I mean, you're not the biggest fan of their recent stuff. No. Anyway, back on track to Bond. Um, but it, just to wrap it up, I guess, I, I think it's really, really awesome. I think everybody should go see it. I knew the opening weekend would be pretty high, and we weren't. Uh, oh yeah. Two of my friends made a bet actually whether or not it would breach eighty-five million. I was like totally. And it no, did. I thought it'd be higher. It I thought got, it'd get up into the nineties. It no. got eighty-seven point eight, and it's the biggest Bond film ever. Yep, because it opened like two weeks earlier in in England. Yeah, well, no, like domestically, that is just domestic oh, yeah, eighty-seven point yeah. eight, and right. it's the biggest Bond film domestically yep. ever. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's the timing is awesome with like the fifty years of Bond and. Uh, it was. It, I. I don't know whether the uh, the the idea to pull it back a little bit into the older Bond territory had to do with the anniversary, or if Mendez wanted to take it that way, or if it was Barbara Broccoli, because I know she has huge pull with what goes on yeah. in this movie. Oh, yeah. She's like the the brain trust of the whole thing. Yeah. I'd be so curious to know. Maybe there's special features on that Bond fifty. Um, what the dynamic is between director and writer and Barb, like producer. She, yep. Because I remember reading an interview with her and her her stepbrother, I guess, are the two that really run the that run things, and I think she's like the main one though. Yeah, and, I um, think I read that same article. Yeah, it because was, it was really good. She was like, "Yeah, we're placing things in it that are yeah, kind of like a nod to old Bond and 
Yeah. yeah she no. has huge... I mean, I remember finding out that she basically chooses... She has the final say in who plays Bond. She comes up with a lot of the ideas for the stories. She has, like, huge pull. In she must guys. be, like, an executor of... The Bond estate. The Bond estate. Yeah, I think she's in control of it. And she actually, like, said in the interview, I know that... Um, what does she call Albert, her dad? I think she, he, has a, he has, like, a funny nickname that everybody used to call him that knew him. She goes, I know he would, he would have... Really Cubby? Loved, yeah. She goes, I would have really the Cubby. She goes, I know Cubby would have loved to have seen this Bond movie, and she and that he would absolutely adore Daniel Craig as James Bond. And um, I just think it's badass that a woman is in control of this franchise. Yeah. It's awesome. Absolutely. Well, there's a few really powerful ones out there, like Gail, Gail Ann Hurd and Barbara Broccoli. Kathleen like, Kennedy, hello. Kathleen Kennedy, now in charge of... <laughs> she's running things. <laughs> yeah, she's in charge of everything Star Wars now, That's basically. Awesome. Gail Ann Hurd is like X-Men and a bunch of other things. Terminator. Former wife of uh, yep. yeah, Terminator. Former yeah. wife of James Cameron. So former wife number like the original <laughs> wife of James Cameron. Yeah, yeah. like going way back. <laughs> Cameron Cameron wife prime. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> we broke Nick. Cameron wife. That's a submarine song. <laughs> anyway, now that there's like 30 seconds of unintelligible gibberish. Um, oh, Lance. Yes. What, what were your feelings? Um, about Skyfall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, about... <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, yeah, Skyfall. I thought it was great. Um, my brother is not like a... My brother's a huge movie fan, like 80s movies and all that stuff. Paulie? So Yeah, Paul. So I don't know. Shout out to Paul. Shout out. Shout out to Paul. Paul Cerisho. Um <laughs> So, uh, like, he saw it with like nine people. Okay. And he comes back to me the night of. We saw it the same night. He comes back to me. He goes, six people fell asleep. <laughs> and I was like, wow. So wow. Six stupid people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I don't know, because I saw it late. You know, obviously, yeah. if you see a movie late, you will fall asleep. And it's it's a longish movie, yeah, like two long. hours and twenty minutes ish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was, wasn't bad. I felt, I felt it, it ran at a pretty good pace. Yeah, um, I, I didn't want to check my watch once. No, but. definitely not. Um, so, him, him saying that kind of made me question the film whether or not like everybody would like this film. Yeah. And I gotta say, it's not really for everybody. I mean, you have to be a Bond fan, somewhat. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's a terrific action film. It's got really good characters. It's humorous at points, yeah. you know. Um, so I, I think, I think, you know, if you're into it, then you'll you'll definitely like it. I mean, that's an obvious thing to say, but yeah, it's. Um, remember Nick remarking at the very end said it's a weird Bond film, which I agree with because. Yeah, it's definitely not like it's the, kind of like a the Venn first two. Of Bond movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean Casino Royale. I love Venn diagrams. Was was very like, it took a lot from. The, the Bourne films. Oh, yeah. It's like, let's turn Bond into like a brawler. Yeah. And beat up people yep. instead of just like cars, gadgets, mm-hmm. helicopters, stuff like that. So I, I liked that they did that, but then I'm like, where's my whole Bond? You know? Like, yeah. I, I want to see him do the stuff that he's, you know, known for doing. Yeah. And he kind of did some of that stuff in Skyfall, but still was very much like hands on, let's kick ass. Yeah. 
you know, shotguns and all that stuff yeah. at, at the very end, which I, I gotta say, too, like, the first two-thirds of the film was kind of, was kind of formulaic, like, like, this is what I expect out of a Bond film. Yeah. And then the, the third part, totally not It comes out film. of nowhere, and yeah. it's a really cool. We'll was, get into it more. Yeah. yeah. But. Um, so, that I really enjoyed. So, like, when that happened, I was like, okay, I'm on board. I mean, I, mean, I was already on board, but then I was like, all right, front row, seat. I'm ready for this, you know, kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I enjoyed it very much. Daniel Craig, I have to say, I've, I've met a lot of British people on the ship, and they don't say Craig, they say Craig. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I'm going to still say Craig because I'm American. Okay. Um, You're a Michiganer. weird. <laughs> exactly. So, Daniel Craig, Craig. very good. Um, no spoiler, in the very beginning, you kind of see him kind of grizzled, you know? Yeah. Like, not shaved, drinking a lot. And that's kind of where this bond is nowadays. Yeah. It's like, no longer is he, like, you know, escaping reality. It's mm-hmm. like he's very much rooted in reality. It's yeah. like, I have a life, too, kind of thing. So, you know, he hurts, he bleeds, yeah. kind of thing. Um, yeah, more so in, I guess, Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, where he was, like, you know, starting as a character, getting to know him. The Vesperland thing, <clears throat> yeah, you know him having emotions for for a woman longer than five minutes. <laughs> well, I think I honestly think the first two thirds of Skyfall succeeds more at what Quantum of Solace wanted to do, uh-huh. which was what you're saying about like being a Bond that has a life outside of MI6 and like he's he's a human, he's not a robot, he's not mm-hmm. a dude that goes and you know, which is kind of exclusive to the Daniel Craig Bonds. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you saw in GoldenEye or, you know, anything before that. Yeah, but it's just all those films, the Pierce Bros and the Bond, still a very good Bond, but he was just way too cool. Yeah. Way too cool. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I loved this movie. I had a fantastic time the whole way through. Um, brilliant performances. Shout out to Judy Dench still acting even though she's almost completely blind which is nuts <laughs> she has people read the scripts to her oh wow because she cannot read them anymore oh my god um and she she yeah dame judy dench was pretty amazing in this movie um uh, thoughts on naomi harris i liked her she's okay yeah. okay she wasn't the best part of the movie but i like naomi harris i i I think they could have done better, probably. Yeah. Yeah. She was a little bit, like, I don't know, man. Like she's, got way... some, she's got some spunk to her, like, a little bit of an edge. That yeah. Is, that is funny watching her banter with James. They brought in, like, <clears throat> what they bring her? Just, like, kind of, like, counterpart to him. Like, a little bit. She's kind of a little bit dim-witted. A little bit, like. A little bit. trust her so much. She, like, yeah. You know? And that's kind of, you know. She's kind of a screw-up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, nobody. Nobody has brought up Javier Bardem. Oh, we gonna bring up. I feel like it's hard to talk about it. I, you know, that's that's very true. But I was, I just kind of want to plainly say that his entrance into this film is one of the most amazing things that I've witnessed. And we'll get to it in spoilers. Mention when he actually shows up in the film. His actual on-screen appearance. His first scene in the film is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um. And then the only th- the other thing that I wanted to mention, and like the you know what I really loved, 
there is a particular fight scene that takes place a third of the way into the movie. I'll say in Hong Kong. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. It's like one of the coolest things that I've seen on screen ever, basically. It's... Jaws. Jaw jaw hit the floor. It's amazing, but it's one of those things that we'll talk about more in, in, in the spoilers. I do have a few things that I was kind of pretty meh on. I absolutely love the movie. I can I can say right now it is my favorite of the Craig Bonds, and it could be my favorite of all the Bonds that I've seen, which includes Goldeneye, but that's probably about it, because I haven't seen very many of them. Um, there were some effects in the beginning, particularly uh, when they were on top of the, the, the roofs on the motorcycle, where it didn't... The green screen did not work for me yeah. at all. See, I didn't notice it in that scene at all. A lot of people complained about it. It now you can see it. It just it was. It didn't. What What else do you do though? Like, in that situation. Well, I think I think you could make it look better. Yeah. There are people that have made it look better. Sure. They probably just didn't have the money because they're this movie. It's surprising this movie got made. Oh yeah, definitely. But that's kind of a whole other story. There was a. There were actually several instances in this movie of poor CGI that was actually kind of distracting. That was the only one that really hit my eye, but if you want to... I really noticed that one, but I wasn't really looking at his face during those scenes. Yeah. Yeah. I was just more like sitting back and watching. Yeah. Uh Um, The only other thing, the the hacking that occurs in the first, you know, in parts of the movie, I don't understand... I know that you need to, if hacking is going to be a component in your film, you need to have a way to show it. But if you boil it down to showing an image on the screen that looks ridiculous and like it's out of a cartoon in a Bond film. Talking about the 3D like model that they see? Not even. Just the dentist face with the puppet mouth? Yeah, the graphic. Why? Just Why? We can talk about it more in spoilers, but there's you could have cut it off like 20 seconds before that. Golden. Would have been good. Would have been fantastic. And like I said, this is a minor gripe, but it's just like, it's almost as bad as Two Idiots, One Keyboard, in my opinion, because if you haven't seen that on YouTube, go watch it. <laughs> Not in my mind, but, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, and, and that kind of couples on top of the fact that... um people people in in movies people that make movies don't take the time to make like realistic movie in or like computer interfaces in movies nobody wants to license windows or or apple well, a lot of people license apple but like you know oftentimes this is a big nerd problem but oftentimes i'll look at a screen on a on a tv show and it's like oh it's like they made their own distribution of linux so that they could have this shot when it was really just some dude in post that was like i'm gonna post some boxes here and put a few lines of words here i hate it when it feels like somebody's done that and this movie is kind of uh, up until q is you know it feels like that to me but it's a small gripe the rest of the movie absolutely amazing Two hours and twenty minutes long certainly doesn't feel like it. It it kind of flies by. Um, lots of really beautiful shots, especially in IMAX. Totally worth seeing in IMAX if you can. In LIMAX, if you can see it in IMAX, totally go then. But um, 
overall, yeah, I think this this will probably be my favorite bond. And it's been a while since I've seen like Goldeneye, but just this being the bond that I've really kind of grown up with, bless you, in the past few years, this will probably be the one that kind of solidifies for me. So, yeah, and you know, I think that kind of hits all the major points that I wanted to hit. Yeah, it's definitely yeah, it's def- it warrants repeat viewings. This one here. Yeah, it's not a throwaway. Um, yeah, really good action. Yeah, really good inventive action too. Like I was like I was watching it and I was like, okay, what are they gonna do next? And then the thing that they did next was like totally surprised me. Yeah. So I was really happy with that. Yeah. Especially the beginning, like, you know, him chasing the guy, motorcycle train. Yep. Yes, yes, all that. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll get into spoilers so we can get to some of the juicier stuff, but uh, we'll be right there. Welcome back to the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. We're in spoiler section now for Skyfall. Uh, one of the things that I kind of would like to talk about is Sam Mendes being the director for for this one which was a big surprise to a lot of people obviously his filmography doesn't really point to him making a bond movie but what did what did you guys feel about that i mean i have a pretty limited experience with his films um i've seen american beauty and road to perdition but i haven't seen road to perdition in a very very long time American Beauty is a fantastic movie, but there's nothing in it that makes me think Bond film. It's a logical progression. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you guys think of Sam Mendes as director? Not not only his job of doing so, but the fact that they picked him in the first place. I think he did a really uh, pretty admirable job. He stepped into some. It was a pretty big, uh, pretty big role for him to, to uh, step into yeah and knowing that MGM had been going through a lot of trouble financially mm-hmm. and that probably a, a lot of their future rides on a, on a bond movie yeah a bond movie. so I think that knowing that I had pretty good faith in him like they wouldn't have picked somebody who would suck um, I think his his all of his skills as a storyteller and as a, as a visual a very a director who's very good at visuals definitely shown through yeah in the movie I think uh, repairing him with Deacons was awesome choosing choosing Deacons the two seem to work together I know they worked awesomely together on Jarhead because the movie looks amazing and we should say Deacons is longtime Coen Brothers collaborator as well uh, Deacons and... is a legend yeah yeah, yeah. anybody who, who's inevitably if you talk to any film kid and say who's your favorite cinematographer they'll probably say Roger Deakins probably yeah. because he's one of the few that they know by name or Wally Fisner yeah. these days yeah him as well or Haskell Wexler if they're watching older movies <laughs> uh-huh. but um or Emmanuel the, the, the shout dude out. Is, yeah yeah shout out <laughs> um the dude Deakins is really talented uh Ellswood is also a really talented cinematographer who I wanted Roger Deakins to win the Oscar yeah, he was nominated twice. I wanted him to win. I remember what year when Ellswit won for There Will Be Blood, and I remember thinking, I wanted Deacons to win for Assassination from Jesse James. Okay. Yeah. And Ellswit won for There Will Be Blood, and I was like, it's hard for me to argue with that because I love There Will Be Blood, but I wanted Jesse James to win more Oscars. Oh, yeah. Anyway. All Oscars. We should talk about that more when Tim himself comes up and blows my <laughs> mind. No doubt. Um, 
I I stand on either side. I'm interested to see the movie. But. Anyway, um, but no, Mendez he did it. He did a very good job. I remember a friend of mine said he thought it was probably the best directed Bond movie he's ever seen in terms of performance and and balancing everything. Yeah, I think uh, he did a great job. I don't think it's such a crazy choice when 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 I heard it, I was like, that'll bring a real touch of of class. Yeah, and, and awesome to the franchise. Because um, I mean, Road to Perdition is just so. That's one of my favorite films. Stupidly good. Yeah. I dream of that film. It's ridiculously good. Yeah. Daniel Craig is in it. Yep. He's really good. Plays a completely different type of guy. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Newman. It's one of his one of his final performances, I think, and he's amazing. The and Hanks. I mean, Tom Hanks was a villain. Yeah. Like every, everyone, everyone's illusions of Tom Hanks were shattered when they saw that movie. They're like, oh my yeah. god, he's kind of a bad guy. Not a villain, but. Kind of a villain. Yeah. It's uh, Jude Law in that. It's, mm-hmm. it's a Jude great Law movie. Jarhead is great. American Beauty is great. It's, um, he's a really talented guy. And it's funny because when, when he's doing the press rounds for, for Skyfall, just before he came out, he, I read people are like, are you going to come do another one? He's like, no. I'm good. Yeah. He had a great time doing it. And he said he got to flex that particular muscle of doing something a little more action-oriented. Um, and I think he got it out of his system. And I think that's great. If he, I, I think he put his his mark on the Bond franchise and I think it's great for him to just be like that was good that was a great time I'm walking away um, I'd be really anxious to see what, what the next one has to bring uh, I think we're going to have a lot to talk about so I think we should skip the food for thought unless you had a real you can save yours for next time we'll do it next week I think we kind of have to do it this week though it's really because I think it's gonna be really brief, though. Okay. Well. Okay. All right. I want to try. I want to try and itemize yeah. our our list here in the spoiler section at okay. the very least. Um, first thing I want to bring up: Javier Bardem. I was gonna go there. Are you gonna, are you gonna you're going there. No one else. Oh, Mendes. Just just want to say, like, very competent. I think that's probably why he got hired. That's why a lot of directors get hired these days. It's like you don't think of them for the role, but, but they they have a vision for it. Yeah. 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 And really, a director. Actually, if you if in England, a director is called a production manager. Not really like the American vision of a director. Yeah. It's like makes every single decision. But like Sam Mendes, him at like driving the ship, so to speak, of Bond was probably a really good choice because he's a film fanatic, I'm yeah. sure. And and knows a lot about story and and just, you know, did did a did a good thing for the for the franchise in terms of character, in terms of uh, you know, plausibility, you know. Pacing pacing exactly yeah you know if you make one good film then you know you have the know-how to make another no matter what genre sometimes you squander it and (laughs) don't do it very well you didn't learn exactly why your film was good yeah mark foster for quantum of solace i mean you know he did a great job monsters ball but yeah some people would say you know not good for for yeah i don't know all right um have your bright um out of the three Bond villains in Craig movies, hands down the best, in my opinion. The Sheaf is very good, but I think Javier Bardem commands, he has a very commanding presence, and it's not because he looks, he certainly looks off-putting, but he's not creepy. He's not Guy Pierce and Lawless. He's just very, like, <laughs> off-putting in, like, a completely different way. And I just wanted to say... Sadistic. Well, he does and he doesn't. 
because like the first scene that you see him and he's very clean and like you know he's dressed well okay but he still has this like weird thing about him that and part of it's the scene part of it is the fact that you watch that elevator come down and then you see him approach bond from across the room and deliver this monologue the whole way through i'm sure part of that is what makes you like but amazing and i just think it's interesting to look at that compared to no country for old men the two different kinds of villains that he plays in two completely different ways and how they're very menacing for completely different reasons. It's an, an interesting comparison to make because, you know, No Country for Old Men, he's very, it's like a suspenseful, like, terrifying thing, but this one is all about how he presents himself and, you know, I almost can't even put a finger on why he's so, you know different and strange but it was amazing like what do you what do you guys think about it i thought he was really really good but i i kind of fault the movie with making him kind of a wasted opportunity because he doesn't enter the movie until like halfway through yeah maybe. yeah that's something that's pretty rare and they clearly were heavily inspired by the joker and hannibal lecter i would say even the joker even more notably because he's a very similar character in terms of he's both the antithesis of the hero, he's got this elaborate plan, which part of it is him getting kidnapped and breaking out. I'm sick of that, by the way. He's, but. Got, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's got a lot of jokery tendencies about him in terms of his complete confidence. True. Past. Which I'm fine with. Surprisingly fine. I didn't see it that way, really, but now that you're saying it, it makes sense. Well, the whole time I was like, I was thinking, I was like, this is very, his character is very jokery. But I was okay with that. I just wanted, I wanted more of him because they set up an awesome, awesome opportunity for a villain, which is somebody that Bond knows. Mm -hmm. And somebody that is a figure from Bond's past, and he is truly like the dark. Well, is it really so much Bond's past as it is M's past? Well, kind of. I mean, they knew. Each I didn't. Other. I didn't get the sense that they like. They knew like of each other. Yeah. I think that they yeah. they they may have even they may have even known each other on like a on, a, on an acquainted level. Mm-hmm. They may have actually conversed in the past, but they they weren't. It wasn't like. I, I still argue the best Bond villain of all time is Alec Trevelyan, played by Sean Bean in Goldeneye. That's a pretty good. He's pretty good. Phenomenal, and not only in his performance, but in his how he is in the story, and he is Bond's like brother. Like they, they're not actually brothers, but they're like they're like so tight. They're like brothers, and Bond has to make that executive decision in the field to like leave him for dead, basically. And Sean Bean's character is so hurt by that in the way that Craig in this movie is kind of hurt by M having the shot, to yeah. him, which makes him get fucking wiped off the train. Make it personal. Yeah, exactly, and 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 Bond is like it wasn't about that, you know. Or, or Dan- Pierce Brosnan Bond was like it wasn't about that hit rebellion, and he's like, yeah, it was. So it's interesting that these two, these characters who were wronged, they think they were wronged, but were they? I mean, like they, they know the risks of that field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think, like Javier Bardem's character says he was Adam's favorite, and he, he definitely took it personally when she traded him for the lives exactly. of five or six others and and it's in the idea of spies and their handlers essentially getting so comfortable with each other that it becomes personal is so scary because as much as we try to manufacture these like spies and soldiers that are impersonal we're still human 
and a guy like James Bond is still human. Yeah. And, Mothers and sons. And a, and a guy like Silva is still human. Um, I felt like there was so much they could have done with that character. Had he been introduced at the beginning of the movie, I feel like he would have been the best Bond villain. But he just... He made a big splash in, like, very little time. Mm. I mean, Which he, is awesome, but... But he didn't impress me that much, really. I'm like, okay... He had a cool plan. He was in control for like six minutes of the movie. And he immediately lost control. Because Bond's like, nope, we're going to take him onto our turf where we know where he's coming. And But he didn't. Uh, well, okay, yeah, never mind. He totally, he had this awesome plan that worked like once. Like he had one cool plan. Whereas like the Dark Knight is so much more effective because the Joker's in control almost the whole movie. Yeah. And Hannibal Lecter, you kind of get that vibe that he's always in control. And Silva, you're like, I feel like he could be a good villain, but he's not yet. Almost like he had a really he had a really awesome plan. I'm using the word plan now it feels so cheap after like the Joker saying it over and over. Yeah. But um, he had a really cool plan and he had a neat way to infiltrate MI6 and and get he had an awesome way to get at M. Like he knew everything that was going to be happening, but it was only like I said it was so brief and that's mm-hmm. why I feel like uh, I mean when we get into. I know we're in spoiler territory, but I'm so scared to even talk about it. When we it. get into super spoiler territory. <laughs> yeah. Spoilers within spoilers. With M's death. Um, oh, God, I said it. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah, no. He, it, I, I think M's death would have been so much more effective if it had happened when we all thought it was going to happen. When he marches into that room where the hearing is. Like, the build-up to that moment was so oh, yeah. good. Yes. The music and Bond running down the street on foot to try to get there in time, and Javier Bardem's escape, and her reading the Tennyson poem, and everything. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, my, oh my God. I was sitting in the theater, like, <laughs> my heart was racing, and I was like, Em's going to die, and I'm going to freak out, because I love Judy Dench's Em so yeah. much. And it didn't happen, and I was like, oh, she's okay. But then when she died at the end of the movie, I was like... Yeah, it was kind of a really wuss way to go Nobody out. Nobody seemed to really care. You know, no. you, didn't, you didn't even really need to kill her at that point, at the end of the film. No. You, you know, it was like she was... I she, mean, it's like after all that, after surviving all that, and then she just kind of... She bled out bled while out. standing up still. You know, <laughs> it's like... It was kind of like... It's like that was just to get rid of her, just to get rid of Judy Dench. Yeah. Really. If it had happened... It was to moment, install Ray Fiennes. Basically exactly. building, it was basically building up M saying here's why I did what I did and I think I'm justified her dying in that moment would have been awesome yeah because James would never have gotten the opportunity to say goodbye necessarily and it would have been just so good for her to be like I am justifying why I've done the things I've done and I'm okay with that and then her like turning and facing Silva and just like looking at him like bring it would have been sweet but her like being like James uh, I did one thing right um, I feel like that would lead, that would give more reason for James to be more tortured in sequels, and I feel like that they, re- I mean, they really wanted to get away from that with really this one. Yeah, he needs to move on. Some resolution definitely movies. came of her, of her dying when she died, and without her, if she had been dead, there would have been no reason to have the third act at all, yeah. out in the farm or whatever, so it, it, I understand why it happened, but that, that was a smaller... That was a smaller complaint. I think my biggest complaint with the movie is the fact that Silva was kind of wasted because he was really he was a really engaging villain. Yeah. And I wish that we had gotten a little more time with him. And also, it'd been cool if he had survived the movie. Yeah. And like maybe shown up in the future. But at the same time, I'm glad Mendes was kind of like I made a movie that's ending on its own, and that's it, and nothing from this movie is going to carry over. Well, I mean, if they, <laughs> I would have rather had a sequel to this than a sequel to Quantum of Solace. 
Casino Royale. Or Casino Royale. See, I disagree. I think this this movie ended in such a way that I'm like, Daniel Craig could walk away from this franchise and I'd be perfectly fine. Well, with no, yeah, I strictly on the function of seeing more Silva, I would want there to be a sequel to this movie more than Quantum of Solace existing because Casino Royale. No, Quantum of Solace existing. Oh, I see. But anyway, it's not about that. I think uh, I think a direct sequel to Casino was important for the develop for leading up to this Bond we got in this movie, because they've successfully done with James Bond now something that's never been done before that he's actually a character, mm-hmm. he's not a force of nature, he's yeah. not just this badass womanizing, straight shooting, always gets out of everything kind of guy. I mean, the movie starts like he gets shot, yeah, and is presumed dead, and he can't shoot straight after that and he's not as strong as he was anymore and he's not as fast as he was anymore. And they brought him down to a very human level that the, the seeds of which are in Casino Royale. Yeah. And they get they get watered a little bit in Quantum of Solace and then it blooms into this like busted ass tree in this one. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he just, he, he doesn't have the knack anymore and that's, I think is really, really freaking cool that in this movie they've made James Bond into a human, into a character that um, the likes of which we haven't seen and like kind of bringing his childhood into play and the the, the house he, he lived in apparently he comes from like some balling ass family that has some money or something yeah um, really really cool and I think a lot of Bond purists are probably like whoa no but Gojo well, Gojo's a big old time Bond fan like Pierce Brosnan is hands down his favorite Bond and he likes Sean Connery a lot he loves kind of the classic idea of James Bond and he was never nuts about the Daniel Craig ones he liked them but uh, wasn't crazy about him and he was reluctant to come see Skyfall I was like come on and he was like alright but when it was over he's like I loved it like he loved Skyfall he liked it way better than Casino or Quantum and or I don't think he even saw Quantum but I thought that was interesting that he, he he's an interesting barometer for James Bond yeah but um there's so much to talk about with Skyfall we're just, we're just that's the thing the that's the thing there's yeah. a lot so of different what, things what did you think about yeah um, about some, uh, some... Oh, Silva. Yeah, Silva was great. Um, yeah, he, he was... Well, you know, like, you keep... It's kind of like Seven, like Kevin Spacey. Like, you keep him, like, kind of hidden for a while. Makes yeah. Him, you know, but they didn't really, you know... Didn't serve a function. Him yeah. In the beginning as much, and then when you finally see him, that's his big entrance. You know there's a person behind it, but there's no... Yeah. You're like... Okay, yeah. they're pretty faceless. That's a good, yeah, that's a good point in the first third because I yeah. am for the first third of the movie, I almost completely forgot Harry Brown was even in it. Yeah, and then I was when like, they were I was getting to him, like she was referring to him. I was like, oh yeah, Javier mm-hmm. Bardem's yet to step on the scene. Mm-hmm. And it was a big, you know, it was a big reveal when you finally see him. This weird haircut and everything. Blonde. Had weird hair. Yeah. <laughs> blonde <laughs> Javier really Bardem. Does. It's because he was blonde. Change, change the hair, change the performance, kind of thing. <laughs> but, uh, but no, no. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know he comes in with that monologue, very very compelling. Yeah, um, he's a he's very um, against what Bond stands for, which is, I guess, the new Bond. I should say he's very technology driven. Yeah, he kind of is yeah. the old Bond. Yeah, and what then, if it was Sean Connery? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> if it were, yeah right. Um, <laughs> and then. Uh, and the, and the new Bond is more, let me be like Jason Bourne and walk through, you know. He's more walk, like one instrument. Yeah, it? walk through, walk fast through crowds and beat people up and kind of thing He's like that. He's more of an assassin than a spy. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, which is so, totally cool with me. 
you know? he did he did he did a little more almost kind of spyish stuff in this one a little bit more yeah finesse yeah in there. Yeah, he, I he think used, in casino, used his wits. Casino Royale Bond would have, when he got to the top floor in Shanghai, he would have ran through all the glass and flanked that yeah. guy out the window. <laughs> yep. Yeah, totally. This one waited, even let the guy take yeah. a shot. And, and that's probably... It. He didn't try to save him. I was no. like, this Bond has been become a little more patient. Uh-huh. He's definitely listening yeah. to M a little more. Yeah, he was more destructive, and that's like what M's problem with her was. problem with him was that he was very reckless. You know? Yeah. But another now, reason I think of significant chunk of time has passed between the two there's no there's no statement that says like but I got I just from the feeling the movie evoked I'm, I felt like years have passed between Quantum and this because both how Bond responds to everything and how the bond between him and the bond between him and M is like really tight yeah he seems much more receptive to her direction and he's really butthurt when she says take the shot He's like really pissed off about it to the fact that he just goes on the land for a while. Um, I let, well, I guess I like the fact that that time is there, but that it's not. You don't have to know it was. Yeah, there's no like eight years later or six five yeah. years later, but yeah. I think I think there's definitely a, a pretty strong implication that some some serious time has passed. Not only too, also his his physicality. I mean, he's not in his prime anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, in Casino Royale, the shit that that guy does is nuts. Oh yeah. He's like he's like a homing missile the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. They launch him in the opening credits and he's just <laughs> through the atmosphere, <laughs> just and yeah, wiping everything out. Yeah. And in this movie, he's much more a little more measured. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's. I think that that I think the second viewing it will probably I'll pay a little more attention to that trying to figure out if there's any more lines dropped of, yeah. of how long he's been around. But he's also a commander too. Yeah. In his obit, she writes that he's Commander James Bond, yep. and I'm like, he's yep. definitely risen in the ranks too. I think. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know how you can get higher than a double O, but well, I guess that's in terms of how how black op you are is. Yeah. Double O's totally. Nobody knows you're a double O unless you're an MI6. Yeah. But, um, okay, so we're at an hour and twenty five minutes. I think we should forgo. I want, okay, we'll do ten more minutes of James Bond, and then we can move into your fifth thought. Right, That's okay. Yeah. No, no, no. One, one more thing, real quick. Just like there's this unanswered question. Kind of Ray Fiennes goes like, "Why come back?" You know. Yeah. And that's the thing about Bond is that he's still trying to be that guy. He mm-hmm. Doesn't have to be, and it's kind of cool that they brought his parents into it, and how he was privileged as a younger, as a younger lad, because like he doesn't have to do any of this stuff. Yeah. You know, what's who's it for? But you know, but love of country or whatever, you know. But it's cool that um, that there's there wasn't answered, you know. It's so true. it's like Bond's just this guy, and he's like, he's like, I don't have to explain to you why I'm trying to save the world. <laughs> yeah. I'm just gonna do it. Okay. <laughs> it's like, that should be a tagline for the next one. <laughs> yeah. You know. So yeah, I, they, I did they like even that. Said that in that interview, they uh, or I don't remember if it was the interview if Barb Broccoli said it or if it was in someone's review. They said this Bond has become that Bond that we're familiar with, who operates out of love of country mm-hmm. and loyalty to M. Yeah. And um, because in Casino, he's clearly just got a big chip on his shoulder and just wants to get out and break things. Right. And she even says that she's like, I should have had your double O status revoked or something like yeah. that because you're just reckless. Yeah. And Quantum, it's a pure revenge revenge spree for the most part. But in this one, he's he's yeah. pretty much an ardent patriot at this yeah. point and, and silva kind of propositions him he's like join me you know it's like the two rats and that's a beautiful yeah uh, what's yes. an allegory it's like you know we could be two rats and we can eat each other or we could you know take over the world and it's like bond's like no i'm good 
<laughs> I'm straight. Yeah, I'm straight, literally. Like, so, so, uh, so it's like you know, touching that was his so legs. Uncomfortable, yeah. There was an audible like scream in the theater yeah. when the shot that pans down to his legs. Yep. Somebody was like, ah! It was amazing. Yeah. Even Craig like jumped like or Bond, Bond jumped like hey. Yeah. It was really it was a really interesting scene. It was cool. Um, and I even called it after we saw the movie. I was like, "There's going to be so many threats." And I had to be like, "Bond's gay, Bond's bisexual." <laughs> I was like, "Clearly, in the movie, Bond was uncomfortable with that happening, but yeah. he played it cool." That's yeah, like, his answer was a pure Bond. It was just a one line. He was yeah. able maybe, to get so you know, serious. Yeah. Bond's blows dudes. Well, that's <laughs> part of that is that uh, Daniel Craig's kind of been like, "I'd be okay with Bond seeing a little bit of the man side of things," but you know, I think part of that is him just kind of trolling about it trolling, anyway yeah, he, already, he already plays the blonde haired blue eyed bond and <laughs> yeah. with the fanboys yeah. yeah yeah cheeky yeah um, there's so much to say about this movie it's crazy mm-hmm. I kind of I want to talk about one of the bigger points is that this the this movie almost kind of has a thesis about it that is we've been there with Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace but that is not what Bond should or needs to be you know, I almost I was thinking about it on the way over here, and I was almost kind of thinking that this movie was kind of an fu to the first two. Hmm. Yeah, it, which isn't true. It's not necessarily true, but kind of to where Bond gets, it's like it is a very cool marriage, and I would say it's more than a Venn diagram of of Bond movies. I think that's kind of distilling it down a little bit, but it's a very beautiful marriage between two different like fundamentally different James Bonds and it's certainly this is a movie that makes it feel like he's gotten to the point where he could be the old school James Bond Mm -hmm. which you know I think that's very cool very interesting there was something else I have to say and I meant to say it earlier but this trilogy is totally Batman Begins Dark Knight Rises and or Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises like so much it's awesome and not in a bad way in a totally awesome way like Casino is the origin it's depending on, on who you are it's arguably the best movie in terms of how well rounded it is it's the best uh, it's just it's a, it's a killer origin it has pretty much everything going for it there's not there's not really any glaring flaws in it it's just a very and it's infinitely rewatchable same with Batman Begins I feel the same way about Casino Royale um Quantum is a little bit of a darker entry for the character. It's kind of a, for Bond, it's a revenge movie. It's about him dealing with the death of the one woman who really mattered. Uh, Batman, that actually plays into the story, too. Um, and it's also almost not really revenge but it kind of has airs about that because of what happens to Rachel. If only Silva had been in Quantum, it would be totally... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dark Knight Rises and this movie totally take that character, reduce them to like a beaten down version of themselves, and then watching them try to come back up and redeem themselves to their former where they were. And uh, with Bond, it's more it's a more successful return. Yeah. Batman, it's because this movie ends and James Bond is still James Bond. James Bond isn't a symbol. And, he returns. and that's kind of the fundamental difference between the two is that... James Bond literally has to return to who he was, whereas Batman just needs to become larger than life. Yeah. Bat- Bat- Batman being, like, existing, job's done. He exists, so that brings back Gotham. If he existed and he was a bitch, it wouldn't matter. 
but because he exists and he's a badass, it, it, it is successful. He returns to Batman, where he is kicking everyone's ass and, re- and saving his city. And he's definitely, skills-wise, he's broken at the beginning of the movie. He needs, like, the leg brace, and he's... Yeah. And then he actually gets literally broken by Bane halfway through and he has to completely rebuild himself. And Bond in this movie, the whole time I was watching him doing his, his uh, aptitude training and all that stuff, I was like, this is so, like, right. <laughs> and uh, the fact that he can't shoot straight during the movie and he's very almost uncom- incompetent in himself is really cool. And at the end of the movie, he's back into, like, I got it. I came back mm-hmm. in a big way. I just think the way the two mirror each other is not I'm not accusing one of ripping off the other or anything. I just think it's awesome the way that this kind of universal theme of these trilogies is kind of we've seen it twice now. And people were comparing Casino Royale to Batman Begins all the time. Oh Batman yeah, Casino back when it first came out. Yep. And I, Quantum and Dark Knight less so, but they have kind of similar threads and they're both a little darker for the character. But in this third one, the whole time I was watching Skyfall, I was like, I feel like I'm it's Bond's version of Dark Knight Rises and I thought that that was really cool. Also I like how in the third act it turned into Home Alone. Yeah, the Daniel Stern cameo was good. I want to take the footage from Skyfall and overlay it with, this is my home, I have to defend it. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'll talk about the Adele song real quick. The, the, um, the chorus is, let the sky fall when it crumbles, we will stand tall, face it all together, at Skyfall. At and, Skyfall? At Skyfall, and I remember thinking through the movie when, when uh, during the word association, the guy says Skyfall, and yeah. he's Bond's like done. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was like, "What is Skyfall? That's like awesome!" And if Very I would have been listening to the song, I would have known that Skyfall is a place. Yeah. But not knowing that, and then getting to the point where you see it on the sign at the end of the movie, it's like, wow. I thought uh, I definitely got the vibe from the trailer that Skyfall was the name of an op or something it sounds like it. oh yeah yeah and in the trailer Cold they name. show when he says skyfall repeatedly and bond looks at m and he says done i was like it you got the you got the idea that he was quitting mi6 because of something called skyfall the only other thing i, I kind of want to say super quick is that uh i'm a little disappointed that they didn't make m shadier because i got the vibe for the movie that bond was actually going to be torn between his duty to m and the country some, some screwed up shit that she did back in her day because it seemed like Silva's motivations would be would be better than just I'm mad at you because you left me I was thinking it would be something even dirtier that she did in her past like if she had sold out like 50 agents and Silva was like this is for all those fallen guys instead of just him yeah him. yeah it was but Bond even like cleanses her he's like this is you're just doing your job yeah and like right. the, the whole like think on your sins thing was very cool um, that he kept repeatedly saying that to her. Uh, I was like, what is it? I was just disappointed it wasn't something bigger. I'm going to say right now. I really wanted M, I really wanted as, as an audience member to be a little pissed off at M and be like, yeah, she should die. And that was cold. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. like, or yeah, have be more torn and have Bond be more torn about it. Yeah. Instead, it was just, it, like Bond said, it was you doing your job. You had to make a, and, and, but it, it was good in the, in the way that he finally, I think, came to peace with the fact that she ordered. Um, uh, money Penny to take the shot. I think he kind of realized like she made a tactical decision. She did what she thought was best. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, that's just the risk. So it obviously every every complaint I think all of us have had of the movie is very nitpicky. Oh yeah, a sign of a great movie. Yeah, the fact that we're just like chipping away. Yeah, we have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Uh, the one thing I want to say, just us talking about this right now, this is the first time that I feel completely justified in not having watched a single trailer. Oh, yeah. I didn't watch a damn thing. And with what you just said about what you were expecting out of it, I could have walked out of that movie being like, I kind of wanted the movie to be this. Like, you know, if we had talked about it and been like, you know, here's what I got out of the trailer and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. I had no, the only thing that I had seen and I caught it on Saturday right before seeing the movie was ripping the train off. Which, by the way, like, yeah, with the bulldozer. That was amazing. Just mostly him like jumping down into it and then re- there's a few times in the movie yeah. where he readjusts himself and you're just like uh. <laughs> but it's that was really cool but no i i feel completely vindicated and not seeing cuz i my expectations were you know it's a bond movie okay and then i went into it the trailer was was good as far as trailers go it wasn't there wasn't a lot it was very brief and it it only showed the only shots I remember from the movie, seeing the trailer, were the shot of him in the word association, the shot of him running down the street, and the shot of him at the end of the movie when he's standing on that on the roof of MI6 and there's all the flags. Yeah. Open. Those are the only things I remember from the trailer because you don't see Javier Bardem in the trailer. Okay. You don't see any of the action sequences. You don't see like anything. From, you see one thing from Shanghai. You see the outline of the figure with the gun and the blue light. Yeah. I want to talk about that more too. Oh, yeah. Oh my god, that was such a cool scene. Just from him getting uh, through the elevator doors all the way to the very end. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. All one like long take of the fight. Amazing. Very Completely cool. like in the that dark, the except for the light yeah. that's scrolling up on the Blade Runner like yeah. building that apparently is Hong Kong, yeah. and that makes me want to go there tomorrow. But yeah, I felt it. It was that was felt it. beautiful, yeah. Like two other sentences about the movie: smoking hot French chick, blonde girl. Yeah, two thumbs up. Okay. Uh, really, really fake ass Komodo dragon CGI. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was a bad CGI. Second. Instance. I thought that that was a really cool scene though, because that was like, okay, this is like an old Bond, like a like a Shark Tank, like yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. I was yeah, like, I was okay with it. I was just very distracted by. No, no, yeah, I understand that, but it's like because. Bond movies don't use a lot of CGI, no. and so when they do, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. I was like, ooh, couldn't they just get a real one, or like a something, or not make it that? Make Call it up the Komodo thing. dragon dude and <laughs> ship in a few. Monitor lizard, whatever it was. Yeah. Or like a big-ass snake or something that is easy to rent. Like, why CGI? That's just lazy. It yeah. bothers me. A movie like that, where there's usually money to spare. Yeah. Uh, I know the budget was a little skinnier on this one, I think, but... I think it must have been because MGM. Was it two hundred million? Was it two hundred? I think so. I'll take a look. Take a look. Take a look. But because my phone's dead. Yep. (laughs) Um, But yeah, this CGI in movies like that, I don't want it. No, I agree. Two hundred million. Yeah. A lot of people griped about the explosion at MI6 too that it looked fake. And Roger Deakins really even said he's like, yeah, because the Matt guy's fucked up. Like Deakins said, he told him to do it one way. He straight up sold them out, and then <laughs> he threw them right he under told the them bus. To do it one way, and they did something else, and he's like, "It doesn't look good because yeah. they, they goofed." I didn't notice it though. I was like, "Whatever, the building blew up." All right, um, there's Last a thing, lot more to talk Ray about. Finds his M. Are you guys excited? I'm ready for it. Hey, yeah, I think absolutely. It's weird for me having gonna that there's gonna be a male M because I've only ever really known Judy, Judy Dench, Dench M. for like the past twenty years yeah. almost. Yeah. And um, yeah. I've seen other ones where M is a man, but to me it's just there's something about it being a woman that yeah. the dynamic 
the dynamic between her and Pierce Brosnan was always so good because he would like flirt with her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she would like never take it, but then she would finally like give him like a, a line back and just <laughs> laugh and be like But Craig the relationship between Craig and M was much more motherly. Son, yeah. And that was really cool. And the way he always treated her with total respect and he called, always called her Marm. And uh with Brosnan and M it was just the swagger was uncontrolled. <laughs> like she well, that's him, any Brosnan movie. She'd call him into the office and just like you'd see the walls expand with how much cool was under <laughs> And she was always just like clearly annoyed with how slick he was. <laughs> um, like, you go back and watch those now after watching. I Netflix. want to. If you watch Goldmine, yeah. you're like, oh my god, Brosnan is too slippery. Like he's so <laughs> damn cool. But he handles the action really well too. Yeah. He's got a lot of great action in his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is just too damn cool. <laughs> Only other two things I want to bring up. Uh, Q. Q was cool. awesome. Q was cool. Yeah. Uh, I like the fact that Bond shat on him for being a kid. <laughs> well, yeah. It's kind of like, what? <laughs> hey, the, and the, the, the throwback, the callback line about the exploding pen I thought was pretty funny. One of the things that, you know, acknowledged the, the, the history. The yeah, it acknowledges the history of... of the Bond ass, movies. The old Aston Martin was sweet too. That's that was the next one that I wanted to get the, to. I. What's what the name of that car? I don't know. I don't care about cars at all, but I felt some of the most, and I, I I've seen like five Bond movies, but I for some reason felt the most nostalgia of seeing that car. I was oh, like, yeah, huh, and and the old like twangy guitar Bond thing yep, that kicked in. Yep. Yeah. There you go. It was almost like too much. I was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was. Skyfall was awesome. Lance, you got any? You have any last remarks? Last you probably remarks. didn't let you talk enough for no. this being your first rodeo. No, it's all good. Um, He's just got to learn to interrupt us more. Yeah, <laughs> we cut each other off all the time. Yeah. Sky, Skyfall, very entertaining, very good entry into the. Hold bottom. on, let me. I'm gonna let you finish. <laughs> I'm gonna let you finish. All right, no, keep going. Um, just yeah, overall, very good film. Uh, d- deserves a, a second viewing for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You want to go see it again in IMAX? Yeah. yeah. We've all saw it in the same dumpy kind of theater. Yeah. Go go see it at the Forum Thirty. Okay. Let's yeah. do another podcast about Skyfall. Pick up on I was I was gonna say there was a lot to talk about and maybe I don't know the about Daily Show and say go to the website. And... Oh no, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like there's a good chance I could be talking about this at the end of the year. Wow, oh, definitely for a top ten. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So. It's the slowest fight. Maybe we can bring in more then, especially since Willie's not here. Maybe he'll have seen it by then and, mm-hmm. and we can talk about it. But mm-hmm. All right, so we'll be right back. We're at 41 minutes. Letter, letter grade. A. 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 Yeah. yeah. Triple yeah. A. All right. <laughs> um, so we'll be right back with a very short food for thought and you know, other stuff. All right, welcome back. We're all going to talk like the Micro Machines, man. But uh, this is our food for thought. Uh, Nick, what do you got for us this week? Okay. Um, I wanted to come up with a name for it that was not food for thought, something that was appropriately Nick, but I didn't think of anything. <laughs> so maybe next time I have to fill in, uh, we'll think of it. Nick's movie hors d'oeuvres. But anyway, yes. My hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> um, so I thought... Um, no, Willie usually ties them into whatever movie we saw that week, and I thought of 
Skyfall got me thinking of what other movie franchises or movies I've seen where the title sequence is particularly effective or particularly ineffective. It's something really distracting and bad, like set to some new metal music or something. So, which, there's tons of guilty films. But anyway. Uh, Daredevil. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, thought, I just wanted to say, like, what are some movie title sequences that you really like? Either movies that... The titles are cool if it's just text with music, if there's a song that's great, or if the actual movie has continued underneath the titles or over the titles. Because sometimes the filmmakers want you to really see the titles with like the cast and everything, and sometimes they're kind of slipped in there and, the, and yeah. you don't even really notice that, that they're going on. Um, so I'll start, just to be brief. Um, I, I Obviously, have, someone has to say Star Wars, just because it's the most iconic like opening scroll of all time. Um, but other than that, my all-time favorite movie, Memento, has clearly one of the most badass opening sequences ever with the reverse Polaroid. Yeah. And it's all one shot. It's just one shot with titles over it. But the music and the font mm-hmm. and the, what you're seeing and how your your brain is literally... The whole the whole theme of the movie is summed up in that one shot. Yep. Like your brain is going to be trying to figure out what this thing is going backwards the whole time. And then it finally makes sense at yeah. the end of the shot. And then the movie starts. And it's just... The brilliance of that title sequence alone. And it even makes more sense by the end of the movie. Exactly. It's just, it's so, 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 so cool. Um, I also thought of, weirdly, the, uh, for some reason, the titles during Ferris Bueller's Day Off, because the movie just rolls with this, like, cool montage of showing you how this character is so cool, and then the names are just kind of popping up here and there, and it's done in such a way that it doesn't it doesn't distract from the, the pace of the movie at all. The movie starts and just goes Yeah. right to the end. And um, I just think that's really cool. But I give Ferris Bueller a lot more credit than a lot of people do as a, as a movie. That's not true. But <laughs> no, it's it's well regarded. Yeah. It's, it's a, yeah. Um, but anyway, I think that's that's about it for the ones that I immediately thought of. I know I have more but I that I had thought of the other day, but I didn't write them down. Okay. Um, but I think, yeah, Memento is definitely a pretty, pretty stellar example. Um, Lance, what do you got? I got two. Uh, one is Lord of War, Andrew Nichol film. Um, Nick Cage vehicle. Nick Cage vehicle. uh, (laughs) Ethan Hawke, Jared Leto. I can name everyone else in that film, but I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Um, What is is the sequence? Like, I don't remember it. The sequence, it follows, follows, it's very cool. It follows a bullet, and it's like the point of view of a bullet. Yeah. And it's from manufacturing to, you know, traveling distribution, distribution, to finally being in a gun and then the going through like a little boy's head because okay. it like that's what happens that's yeah. where all these bullets and ammunition go to it goes you know hurts people yeah um, and it's pretty cool because it's it's literally like like they attach the camera to a bullet and it's just kind of like flopping with you know going inside the box yeah. being being loaded into the into the gun it's really cool very it's cool a really good idea um, and second one. Once Upon a Time in the West, my boy, Sergio Leone. Uh, because, like, I remember watching that, that sequence, and I'm like, okay, like, there's no dialogue. Mm-hmm. and But, like, you, you don't have to say anything. Like, these guys, they're, they're waiting for the man with the harmonica to, you know, enter the train station. And they're, they're just waiting, and it's like, a lot of things are going on. You know, like, one guy is just standing there, and, um, like, these little, uh, like, raindrops are falling on his hat. And that's like water for him to drink, and like that in itself, in and of itself, is like a story. It's yeah. like like a mini story, and like the titles just kind of like creep in, 
And it's kind of like this cheesy, like, 70s, like, creeping kind of thing where it's like, like, you know, let's, like, have a wipe for mm-hmm. these titles, you know? And, you know, but it's okay. I'm, I'm, I, I, you know, I let it go because the sound effects are really good. The acting's really good. The, the thing with the little bee, that's, you know, um, like, this, this bee is flying around this guy's beard and he can't get it off him. So he finally, like, traps it in his gun barrel and then the bee he like holds on he holds the gun quiet like puts his thumb over the yeah over the barrel and just like listens to the bee fly inside his gun it's so beautiful it's just really good um and that's like nine nine or ten minutes long until finally like the man with the harmonica shows up and it's like what now <laughs> so, um, that's that's my favorite title sequence also one of my favorite films all right yeah um, I the first one that I thought of, uh, Jason Reitman, I think has the same opening credits. Uh, people do them for all of his movies. I don't know about Young Adult, but at least the first three. I don't remember what Thank You for Smoking was like, but I'm sure it was cool. Juno, I don't really care about. But Up in the Air, the title sequence for Up in the Air is really cool. I don't know. I don't remember the name of the song. Uh, but just like it's like shots of planes and like overhead views of cities and like just these parallel like an oblique lines like moving around the the titles and it's it's not particularly informative of the movie but it's just like a really beautifully made sequence and you know pays credit to where credits do and it, and it does that very well um the second one that i thought of <clears throat> Is of course Serenity. We thought of it at literally the same instant. <laughs> Did we? Yeah. That's when we both went. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, I got to give it up to that one. Yeah. Serenity. Stupidly awesome. The I I have the soundtrack on my phone and I can listen to that song and it gives me the biggest goosebumps that I've ever experienced in my life every single time that I listen to it. And I'm getting a little teary-eyed thinking about it right now, seriously. But it's it builds up to this musical swell, and then the shot moves into Serenity, and then the it's this like four-minute-long shot that serves the purpose of taking people who have never seen the show through the home of the people that are in the movie and introducing you to every single character that was part of the show, except for you know the two that aren't on there at the time. But the purpose that it serves and how masterfully it's done and, and it's the kind of thing where it seems like that was the first thing they thought of and built the movie around it. Oh yeah. So it's <laughs> yeah. Such, oh man, it's so good. Yeah, like Whedon, I think specifically says he's like, I want you to get a sense of the home of these people and the fact that it's a tracking shot, it allows you to feel safe in this area that they feel safe in and and that they feel home at and you know that's. Yeah, I thought of it when you were talking about like Touch of Evil and those things because those are like tracking shots. Oh, and we could talk about tracking shots forever. Yeah, yeah. that's but, my number one favorite technique. All right, we hit the eight minute mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two more, I have to say. <laughs> no, this is the end. All of, Goodbye. All of uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Well, we don't count the third one, but the first two <laughs> Spider-Man movies are really good. Both the and just the look. Alex McDowell. What's Alex Ross. Alex Ross. Mm. My boy, mm-hmm. Alex Ross. Yeah. Um, and then the second one, how it recaps the first Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Which led me to think of the Incredible Hulk. The, yeah. the origin 
Ever since that movie did that, there are so many superhero properties where I go, do an Incredible Hulk, and then the opening yeah. credits tell the origin, because it's so well done. X-Men Origins Wolverine. Yes. The best part of the movie. And, and, and Watchmen. <laughs> yeah. They were, they were yep. The Watchmen oh, yeah. one is absolutely amazing, and I can't, I can't hear the times they are changing without thinking of that now. Um... But then the other one I really thought of was anything by Guy Ritchie. He always has awesome titles. Like the opening, the opening titles to Rock and Roller are, you get there is it's like there's Pierce Brosnan levels of swagger. In <laughs> it's, it's it's nuts how cool that opening title sequence is, and that introduces you to every character. It's just awesome. Like Guy Snatch Ritchie as did, well. Yep, yeah, Guy Ritchie. I can't possibly praise enough for yeah. for his work non Sherlock Holmes related. Yeah. I've only seen the first Sherlock out of all of Guy Ritchie's films, so. Whoa! Wow. You will see, <laughs> you will see Snatch and you will go, wow. Yeah. And you'll watch Rock and Roll and you go, wow. Yep. Sherlock Holmes sucks. Yeah, all right. Both Sherlock Holmes are decent, but yeah, okay. anyway, that's yeah. not the same. We're, we're pushing 52 minutes here, so. Okay. Right. It's been real. All right. Um, find us on Twitter. Links to that on the show notes on MidwestFilmNerds.com. Uh, I forgot to do my plug for Midwest Film Nerd or feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com. Send us questions, thoughts on movies we review, um, food for thought questions, Nick's film hors d'oeuvres, hors d'oeuvres. Um, <laughs> um, Lance, do you have a, a Twitter account? I do. It's uh, um, Lance Central 2. Okay. Yep. I'll make sure to put it in there. <laughs> oh I don't think God. I'm following you, so I'll follow you. <laughs> check, check me out, man. Follow Lance me. Central. <laughs> Lance um, Central 2. The number 2. <laughs> Music and art brought to us by my brother, at Mr. John, on Twitter. And I think that's about it. So uh, go watch a movie. <laughs>